What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. This is former world champion boxer Showtime Sean Porter. Hey, this is Bobby Gibson. I'm Josh Craig. Hi, this is Joe Tate, voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you're listening to Sports Power Talk. You listen to Sports Power Talk. And keep listening, or it'll be wham with the right hand. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the University of Akron, WZIP Sports presents the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. No question, with all due respect. This is Sports Power Talk. With the latest in sports news. Your Akron Zips are the 2022 MAC champion. The Zips have defeated the Kent State Electric Chicken. In-depth analysis. Astrology for women is equal to what Joe Rogan is for men. <laughs> have you ever tried DMT? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the hottest takes. He's just bad. Let me tear your hey, labrum and you can go on the You know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's only game. Why you have to be mad? Just the same old Browns! You know, bro. Hard on pitch. I think that was textbook top cheese. Cleveland! This is for you! From the best that Ohio sports has to offer. To the best of the Akron Zips. Now, it's time for SPT. Oh, boy. It feels like I have not been on this show for a while. My name is Jake Murren, and I'm the host of the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. This is Sports Power Talk, ladies and gentlemen. Joining me on this March 27th edition of SPT are my incredible sports analyst, Logan Congro. Good morning, Mr. Murren. And Dan Groen. What's going on, y'all? Long time no here. Yes, because it's not like you were on <laughs> last week or anything, Dan. No, not at all. Long time no hear from Dan over there. But, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great show in store for all of you. We'll discuss the Cavs and NBA as we round up the regular season, the MLB's return and what to expect, and, of course, the madness that has been the National Football League. Even when it is the offseason, the NFL somehow manages to take the front page of the paper and control all the headlines. March Madness seems to extend beyond just uh, college basketball. Exactly. You're not wrong. But first, we will start off with what is known as the Madness of March, Dan. And we will tip this show off by talking about the biggest upsets and takeaways from the Sweet 16 in March Madness. Um, the biggest shocker to me in the Sweet 16, I don't know about you guys, was the downfall of Gonzaga, unfortunately. For my bracket, Arkansas beat Gonzaga 74-68. to 68. Um, Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy just could not get the job done against the Razorbacks. Um, also, you had Arizona falling to Houston by 12 points in the Sweet 16. And as far as I know, all three of us sitting here picked Arizona to win it all. I should not have listened to you guys. I should have just chosen my own team. And Don't. Not- it was not you guys. It was one singular it was person. Jeff. Jeff but everyone, our quote-unquote bracketologist, yes, I am going to. Well, I just feel like I shouldn't have chosen the same team that everyone else did because there was also one other guy who shall remain nameless who chose Duke, and they're ahead of everything now, and they're they're winning it all, and um, or they're at least the furthest of all the teams that we have chosen. So next time, I'm just not going to go with uh, the... Um, the popular pick. I'm just going to choose my own team. Yeah, I'm going to do the same. Uh, Logan, any any takeaways from yeah, the I have Arizona a, Gonzaga loss? I have a big takeaway from the Gonzaga loss. I'm never picking Gonzaga to win anything ever again. They do this every single year. 
every yeah, single it seems year. Seems like that's consensus. They don't play in a conference where they play anybody all year. They just play a bunch. There's like Providence is decent, but they don't play any major teams until they get to the tournament. So they they don't have any experience playing teams that are good. They just don't play anybody good all year, and it hurts them every single it's year. A lot like uh, Notre Dame in football. Right. Shout out to that same nameless guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the comparisons are very true between Gonzaga and Notre Dame. Just when you're not facing anybody in the regular season, it's tough to compete against teams like Arkansas who are on a hot streak in the tournament, and you get upset. It's what happens. Um, I do want to talk about Chet Holmgren just a little bit. Um, I know a lot of people are talking about his draft status, where he will go in the NBA draft. The man is seven foot tall, but he is so, so thin. He needs to gain weight and muscle, in my opinion. I think that's just the opinion of everybody at this point. What do you guys make of Chet Holmgren, and what do you see his NBA career looking like? I think he could have a valid NBA career, but I do think that he's gonna have to he's gonna have to hit the weight room. He's gonna have to train with some NBA guys, some professional like strength and conditioning teams. Uh, I think he's definitely a high first round talent, but. Like like you said, he's got to put on the weight. He's got to put in the work because being seven foot is great, but it's also not enough in the NBA. Look at guys like Taco Fall. Like you got to you got to put in some work in order for the seven foot thing to matter. Yeah, I he's got a lower BMI than I do. I'm pretty sure <laughs> you know how thin I am, but I do like your comparison to Taco Fall because I was thinking the exact same thing. I think that with his size, he will have an impact in the league. I think he will be good. I just don't think that he's going to be some superstar. I feel like he's going to fall into more of that role player coming off the bench to get rebounds in, um, you know, just coming off the bench. I don't think that he's going to end up being like a real big superstar. Yeah, I I do agree with you. Um, I could see him being drafted early on in the NBA draft, but unless he hits the weight room, I don't see him being too effective against the NBA guys. Uh, we've seen it a little bit in glimpses of his college career where just if he had more muscle, if he had more strength down low in the paint, he'd be that much more effective. Um, he's obviously already blocking shots. I mean, his height alone is enough to get the job done. Um, but unfortunately for him, he has some more things to work on. And so does Duke because they are moving on in the tournament. They did beat Texas Tech in the Sweet 16, 78 to 73. Unfortunately for my bracket, I did pick Texas Tech to beat Duke. Wow. Um, you know, again, go to our bracketologist, Jeff. He told me Texas Tech had the, one of the best defenses in NCAA. <laughs> well, I'm so glad I, I didn't like, listen to him because I had Duke winning that matchup. That was one of two matchups that I predicted would be right at that round. And that was the only one. That was the furthest I had where I got the winner of that right. So I had Duke making it. And um, other than that, my bracket is complete garbage. Yeah, my bracket is probably the worst out of all three of ours. <laughs> I literally can't get another Did you pick listen right. to Jeff on every single pick? Pretty Not much. every single pick. I don't know, that's weird because I listen to him on most picks, and I the ones I didn't listen to him, I got wrong, and then most of the ones I did listen to him, I also got wrong. I don't know, I was just wrong on a lot of things. In this We're just stuff. all going to pile on him in this show, aren't we? It's Jeff's fault. He was supposed to be the expert, and he let me down. He said, in, pick Arizona. In the description for the podcast, it says bracketologist Jeff Long. I wrote that description, <laughs> Logan. Oh, was being man. awfully generous, wasn't it? I mean, he's probably he's probably the bracketologist here at WZIP Sports. For sure. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I can't just, say that I know any more than him because I was just going off of 
Uh, one seed win, two seed win. No, I can see that that uh, seven seed upsetting. Sure. Did you pick a fifteen seed to make it this far? No, because um, no. I was. I will say I was bullied for, or I was made fun of for having UConn be the uh, Cinderella team here because I had them making it all the way. I think to the Elite Eight. Um, but if I would have chosen uh, St. Peter's, I would have been bullied to the other side of Lake Erie. I I'm, I have not seen this coming. I don't think anyone has. They've really been like the uh, this year's Loyola, and I think it's been even a better run than them. The St. Peter's Peacocks won on National Peacock Day yes. in the Sweet 16 against Purdue, 67-64, to 64, made history. They are the first ever 15 seed to make it to the Elite Eight. And, I mean, talking about Cinderella stories, this is certainly one of them. This might be the best Cinderella story we have ever seen in the March Madness tournament. I mean, they're a 15 seed. They came in. They beat Kentucky right off the bat, a team that I had going pretty far in the tournament. Yep. Also beating Murray State and now Purdue, one of the best teams in the Big Ten. Just I don't think anybody saw this coming from the Peacocks and from such a small school from New Jersey. I don't know how they've been able to get this done, but it's been a great story to see. Any takeaways? from the Cinderella story that is the St. Peter's Peacocks right now. Have you seen their facilities, all the pictures of their, their, their gym, gym and stuff? Is, my high school gym was better than yes. their gym. That and says a lot because I was not a big fan of our high school our, gym. Our high school had two gyms, and the backup gym was even better than St. Peter's wow. gym. Yeah. Same with us. I Have you seen their warm-ups? They don't even have their logo on their warm-up. No, it's they don't. just I, an I Adidas logo. Yeah. So this Just it's a pretty plain, impressive. A plain blue uh, jacket there. Yeah. yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah, and it's like you you just never know what's going to happen in March Madness. You really don't. Last year you had a team named Oral Roberts, who I've never heard of, named after some I don't even know who the dude is. But <laughs> he beat Ohio State, who was supposed to be really good last year. Now this year you got a team who doesn't even have a logo on their jackets, whose mascot is a peacock, out of all things. <laughs> They're up in the Elite Eight now, so it's just, it's unbelievable. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah, St. Peter's will be in action later today. We'll get to that in just a second, but moving on to the Elite Eight. The Elite Eight did start yesterday and last night. Um, first, Villanova beat Houston 50-44. to um, Any surprises from Villanova and Houston, or more so expecting Villanova to win this game? Expecting Villanova at this point. So, they seem like they're always a safe uh, Yeah. So I had them making it pretty far, too. Yeah. So, Logan, I got to call you out on this one a okay. little bit. I Let's told you I would call you out. Let's hear it. Here it is. So, on our podcast, SBT Overtime, uh, you and you and Jeff had this March Madness preview show. And in that show, if I'm not mistaken, okay. you picked Villanova to win it all. Yes. And then you make your bracket and you pick Arizona to win it Things all. Things can change. What changed? My mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're lying to the listeners. No. It was Villanova No. Or? It, I wasn't lying. Villanova is definitely a safer pick, but I like to risk things, and I picked Arizona. Did Jeff get to you? Jeff did get to me. Just blame it on Jeff. We were, right. we were sitting blame there. Everything after Jeff the show, the show, he was like, you're really going to pick Villanova? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to pick Villanova. And he was like, oh, are you sure about that? And I was like, I just hate that like, everyone, I'm the bracketologist. I just like, hate that okay. everyone chose Arizona. Like, And again, there's only one person who didn't, and they're going to end up winning it all, and he shall go, uh, it shall remain nameless. But yeah, I'm just not going to go with the consensus anymore because that I'm 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 livid. 
Yeah. I've only <laughs> ever picked Gonzaga or Villanova to win the tournament, so I'm happy I didn't pick Gonzaga this time, um, but it didn't do me any favors because I picked Arizona, and they both lost in the Sweet 16. This is all your so, fault, Jeff. Yes, it is. Just kidding. Um, I love you. Yeah, we no all hard feelings. <laughs> in this segment, it's okay to have hard feelings, Dan. Okay, yeah. It's, it's okay. Um, but in the other Elite Eight game, Duke did beat Arkansas 78-69. to um, The game wasn't really that close. Arkansas did come back a little bit late in the game to make it a closer final score. But really, Duke was controlling it the entire time. The Duke team right now just seems like they can't be beaten. Personally, I think Duke has the best chance to continue on in the tournament and potentially even win the whole thing. Uh, what do you guys make of Duke's win over Arkansas and their future in the tournament? I think that was an expected win as well, and I would agree with you that it's either going to be for me, Duke, or Villanova winning the whole thing, and I think, despite what I said on the podcast, looking at how the tournament's been playing out, I think Duke might have a better chance as of right now. I think they're playing hard because they know that they don't want Coach K to go out with a loss, and that could end up being St. Peter's if they end up winning today, and I don't think they're going to let that happen. So you never know. You never know. But I mean, Duke, I just, Duke is back. That's all I got to say. I just don't see them letting Coach K go out with a loss. I think they look pretty unbeatable. Yeah, they do look unbeatable right now. And I agree, like last year for Coach K, and it would be a great story for him to win the national title um, in his last year. I think it's probably going to happen. Um, and I don't see another team that could really pose a threat to them. The only one seed left is Kansas. So we'll see what they show up today against the 10 seed Miami. I'm kind of surprised they made it this far. Thankfully, I did pick them over Iowa State, so my my bracket didn't get too too messed up right there. Um, but in terms of today, the action going on today in the Elite Eight, number one Kansas versus number ten Miami at 2:20 p.m. The winner goes on to face Villanova. Who do you like between Kansas and Miami? Miami. I think that. I think Miami's been playing lights out as well. I think it's difficult to beat them. And Kansas, to me, is a team, I said it on the podcast, that they're good, but they the, the lights always seem to be a little bit too bright for them. And I think that Miami definitely has a chance to pull this one off, and I hope that they do. Just for My bracket's already destroyed, so I'd rather see upsets. I'm going to go Kansas just for the sole sake of disagreeing with you. Okay. I have no other basis there i just want to be i just want to be that guy today i'm gonna to be that guy <laughs> that's okay two hours of dan just disagreeing with everybody yeah what a show All right. <laughs> well kansas i also agree kansas i do think they're gonna win um i always root for the upset but one thing that does worry me just a little bit is the strength of competition for kansas in the tournament so far so in the first round they beat the 16 seed texas southern second round they beat the number nine seed creighton and then in the Sweet 16, they beat a four seed in Providence. But according to our bracketologist, Providence was <laughs> a uh, a pretender. I said um, that too, though. I can't even clown. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff, for that. Jeff had Providence losing in the first round. They did make it to the Sweet 16, but Kansas did beat them by five. So I am worried about the strength of competition a little bit. But I do think they will get the job done against Miami to move on to the Final Four, in which they would face Villanova. Uh, Villanova versus Kansas, though. If that were to be the matchup in the Final Four, who would you guys favorite in that one? Absolutely, Villanova. Better coach, playing better. And like I said, I think the lights are too bright for Kansas. I would pick Villanova, no question. I disagree. 
No, of course no, she did. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. Uh, I would have to choose Villanova because they're always a safe pick. I've had them winning it all in multiple brackets and many times having been right. And so I think that they'd easily be the safe pick for that one. Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. I think it is the safe pick. I will go Villanova over the uh, the Kansas Jayhawks if it if it gets to that matchup in the Final Four. On the other side of the bracket, though, Duke is already in the Final Four. They will face the winner of today's game at 5.05 p.m. between the number 8 seed, North Carolina Tar Heels, and the number 15 seed, the team we were just talking about, the St. Peter's Peacocks. Who do you guys like in this one to go face on Duke, who might be the hottest team in the bracket right now? I think this is the round where the Cinderella story comes to an end. Plus, okay. it all seems to be lining up. Imagine watching North Carolina and Duke in the Final Four in Coach K's last season. That's just how it lines up for me. I think oh, the yeah. Cinderella story ends tonight. I would... I'm so conflicted because I would love to see a Final Four where Duke takes on UNC. That is right. just the matchup of... of a. It's, it's just meant to be, but... Also, I really don't want this, the Cinderella story with St. Peter's Peacocks to come to an end. I'm yet. not opposed to either result, honestly. Imagine St. Peter's defeating North Carolina and then going on to defeat Duke, who will then play Villanova and ultimately win it all. Official prediction. Why not? All right. Why? Wow. The Why peacocks. not? Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I'm probably going to be wrong, but... I'm going bold, like I said. I'm I'm going against the grain here. What do you have to lose? Brackets already busted. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Unfortunately, if you're gonna though, lose, you got to be bold. You got You know, you have to have confidence. Be bold like a peacock, man. Exactly, sir. Ride with them. Um. Unfortunately, though, I do have to agree with Logan. Um. And honestly, for St. Peter's, I think it might be okay to lose to North Carolina because that would be a a good loss. Even though you know you can debate if a good loss is even a thing. And then if they were to face Duke, I don't think St. Peter's puts up any challenges against Duke right now, especially with how hot they've been. So I think this is a comfortable place for the Cinderella story to end and then spark the whole storyline of North Carolina versus Duke. Of course, North Carolina beat Duke in Coach K's last home game in the regular season. So you have that revenge game in Duke's mind. Also, North Carolina trying to move on as an eight seed into the championship game. I think it just makes too much sense for that to happen right now. So I'm also going to pick the Tar Heels to unfortunately beat the Cinderella story of the year of the decade, the Peacocks in the Elite Eight later on today, which makes for a Duke in North Carolina Final Four. Um, If that matchup were to happen, who would you guys favorite in that one? I would, I'd probably still go with Duke. Like you said, Duke looks unbeatable and it's going to be a revenge game, which, as we've seen here on our own campus, that seems to matter. That seems yeah. to work. So I'm going to go with Duke advancing to the national championship, regardless of the results, St. Peter's or UNC. But if it's Duke-UNC, I'm going to push Duke into the finals. I would have to, too, because of just how hot they are right now and because this is Coach K's last year. Kind of like what I was saying, the the story is all, it all comes, it has to come together like that. So I'd have to take Duke in that one for the revenge game. Yeah, I'm also going to take Duke. I think Coach K is unbeatable right now with his team and just that revenge mentality going into it. I think that will uh, do them wonders. And then a Duke-Villanova championship game is what we are all predicting. 
Duke Villanova, who takes home the title? The Duke Blue Devils. Guaranteed. Book it. No question. Yeah, my brain tells me that, but I have to I have to go Villanova just to be that guy. Mr. Yeah. Disagree. I don't, care. I don't even care anymore. <laughs> I just don't care. Yeah, I can't blame you, but <laughs> I, I do think Duke will win it all at this point. Um, just playing lights out. Coach K's last season, we said it a lot already. Uh, the Blue Devils will likely be the championship uh, team this year, but I've been wrong on almost everything. My final four was Gonzaga, Purdue, Arizona, and Iowa. Um, Me too. Exactly. In really? a different bracket. Okay. I had that exact final four right, in my enough. family bracket. Didn't help that Iowa lost in the first round. No, that was not good. But look at us, man. We're agreeing today. I know. Last time we were on, it was very hostile. But we're good it's today, okay. Logan. We're good. One For step now. at a time. Yeah. For now. Until we reach the NFL. Yeah, once we get into the uh, 1230 segment, I'm sure sparks are going to fly I there. Think we'll, I think we'll still be okay. I, I don't, think we'll be okay, but we'll see. Maybe you let all your same. frustrations out last week or the week before. Yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll be all right. We'll be I all think right. we have a lot of the same uh We'll same find some common ground, and I can be yeah. the mediator if need be. Yeah, there you go. Mediator Dan. Perfect. Disagreeing Dan. We get all the Dan's today. <laughs> all right, well, that with was the whole the, package. There we go. So that's the men's tournament. Uh, it's going to be great to see the two Elite Eight games going on today and then getting into the Final Four and Championship game. We're almost done. And also, let's talk about the women's bracket for just a little bit as well because um, the women are doing great things on their side. So unfortunately for Iowa and Baylor, they went down early. And I saw on first take they were doing this segment where they were talking about if Iowa and Baylor's loss hurts the the women's bracket because those are competitive teams that are going down early. I would say the opposite because if you are having upsets in March Madness, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that what draws viewers in? I would think so. That there are upsets happening. I yes. mean, that's like, why people are tuning in to see St. Peter's, who I've never heard of. Exactly. Like in the in the men's tournament, you don't see a lot of one seeds left. It's literally just Kansas. Right. In the women's tournament, it's always like all four one seeds are still in it, even to the final four. And we're in that right now. We we still have all four one seeds alive in the bracket. But I think it's good to see those early on upsets between Iowa and Baylor because it every single time you turn on a women's uh, college basketball game in the tournament, you want to see an upset. You don't want the top seed just to win because they're valued high. Right. I mean, so, are, are those same complaints being made about the men's tournament? Not at all. Not at all. Not a fan of those double standards. I'll I'll just leave it at that. Well, the reasoning was because the the women's bracket doesn't get as much national coverage as the men's bracket, so yeah. they were wanting to see more competitive teams go far. And of those competitive teams, we have Iowa and Baylor. And unfortunately, they do go down early. So if that hurts the competition in the bracket, I don't think so. I just think it makes it more entertaining with more upsets. But I agree. That's just my take I'm, on that. I'm an underdog kind of guy. I am as well. Um, one underdog that went far in the women's bracket was the Ohio State Buckeyes women's team. Yeah, they did make it to the Sweet 16, and they lost to a very game uh, Texas Longhorns. So... Can't knock them at all. Yeah, shout out to the Buckeyes. They, um, yeah, the women's hockey team actually just uh, won the Final Four, or oh. the, the Frozen Four, the whole uh, hockey national championship. Good for them. So shout out to our Buckeyes. Good for them. Go shout Bucks. out to the Buckeyes, of course. Uh, and then our our MAC champions, Buffalo Bulls, representing the MAC, uh, couldn't get past Tennessee in the first round. Unfortunately for the Bulls, I thought they could probably make a deep run. Unfortunately, yep. they didn't get a great seeding and didn't get a great first matchup either. 
against the t- Tennessee Lady Volunteers. Um, Tennessee's been great all year. A little inconsistent, but couldn't get past uh, the Bulls there. And then today, we do have two two games going on. South Carolina versus Creighton and Stanford versus Texas. And then tomorrow, we have NC State versus UConn and Louisville versus Michigan. Um, it's really a race among the number one seeds for me. We have South Carolina, Stanford, NC State, and Louisville all still alive. Um, among those four number one seeds, who do you guys like the most? And if you guys want to pick Creighton, Texas, UConn, or Michigan, go right ahead. I'm going to go with Stanford uh, because they went undefeated in the Pac-12 conference. Uh, they only had two losses throughout the entire season, uh, not in that conference, and they've been riding a 23-game win streak. So I think that it is going to be very close with all the remaining number one seeds, but I think that they have what it takes to finish it off, finish it strong, go all the way. All right, we have a Stanford pick. Logan, how about you? I'm going to pick none of the one seeds. I'm going to okay. pick UConn. I'm going to pick UConn. <laughs> That's not a bad pick at all, actually. Strictly because because of Paige Bukers. She's incredible. She's incredible. Yeah. And I don't follow women's basketball that much. I don't know but either. this is one team that I have always kind of followed, and I follow Paige Buecher's career, and she's the best player in NCAA women's college basketball right now. So I think UConn wins the whole thing. Yeah, those are not bad picks. Uh, UConn is facing NC State tomorrow. Uh, we could see a potential upset there, so I don't hate the pick. Uh, my pick, though, is South Carolina. I think they are very talented. You have Aaliyah Boston, Zia Cook, and Destiny Henderson on the team. They're just really well-balanced everywhere, and they control the pace of the game. Um, Whatever game they're in, they like to control the pace. Well-balanced, can really spread the ball around the floor. I do have the Gamecocks winning the women's tournament, but it's really interesting going into the late eight here for the women's bracket because it's so up in the air between all these number one seeds and even a number two seed like UConn um, that you picked, Logan, could certainly uh, get past NC State and maybe even win it all too. So we'll see what happens in the women's bracket. But, Dan, I'm going to kick it to you for a live power play, and then we'll be right back with more Sports Power Talk. Sports Power Talk presents the Power Play with Dan Rowe. So it's been a week since the NHL trade deadline has happened, and we've seen some big names being moved around, such as longtime Philadelphia Flyer Claude Giroux going to an already loaded Florida Panthers team. We have also seen Marc-Andre Fleury going to the Minnesota Wild from Chicago, uh, just to name a few. Another big trade was Evgeny Dinanov of the Vegas Golden Knights going to Anaheim, and then he didn't. A trade was accepted between the Knights and the Ducks that would send the 33-year-old forward to Anaheim, but... It wasn't made apparent until hours later that Dodonov had a limited no-trade clause on his contract. This this no-trade clause was agreed upon when Dodonov signed with the Ottawa Senators back in October of 2020. But somehow the Sens were able to trade him to the Vegas Golden Knights despite him having that no-trade clause. So once again, the NHL treating the Golden Knights like the Vegas Golden Childs, as I like to call them. Uh, but as for this current trade, Dodonov will stay in Vegas after the league voided the trade, citing that no-trade clause, and the Senators will not be punished for failing to adhere to it. Uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs are just weeks away, so be sure to subscribe to the SPT Overtime Podcast to hear me and Pat Weber's predictions and Stanley Cup preview 
uh, or pre-Stanley Cup playoff analysis uh, next week, which will be, like I said, which will be out next week. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what's going on in the hockey world. And that has been the power play with Dan Groen. All right. How are the how are the Blue Jackets going? Not so hot. Not so hot. They are, they're not mathematically eliminated as far as I know, but it is a very top-heavy Eastern Conference. I think we're one seed out of the playoffs, but it's not going to happen. So we'll just uh, run it back next year. We'll see uh, what happens next year because I have a lot of uh, hope for them. I think they're a very young, talented team that just needs time to grow. All right. I think they'll be back. Disappointing year for the Blue Jackets, but some optimism for next year. So exactly, we will see what happens with the NHL as we get closer to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And WZIP Sports is your number one place for NHL coverage as well. We're going to cut it to break, and when we return, we're going to be talking about the Cavs' recent struggles. They went zero and three this week, and the NBA as a whole. Don't go anywhere. What's going on, everyone? We are back with more sports power talk. My name is Jacob Murin, and I'm the host of the show today. Joining me are my analyst Logan Congrove. What's going on? And Dan Groen. Wonderful weather we're having. Yeah. Welcome back uh, from spring break, everyone. Very bright outside. Also snowing. Late March. Very cold. Gotta love it. Um, but in the sports, anyways, uh, Cavs and NBA segment here. Um, unfortunately for the Cavs, they are getting cold at the worst time. They went 0-3 this week. Let's get into some of the headlines surrounding this team, and then we'll do our week in review where we break down every single game this week. Unfortunately, all of them were losses. They're currently 7th in the Eastern Conference, and you know Darius Garland, 4 straight double-doubles, dating back to March 18th, and that was the win against the Nuggets prior to breaking that streak against the Bulls last night. So Darius Garland's been playing out of his mind as of late. Um, Dean Wade, unfortunately, the injury bug has gotten him, and he's out for a few weeks, which uh, might be the regular season. Dean. Yeah, not trippy. <laughs> Never heard that one before, Dan. That was good. Um, but yeah, he's out for a few weeks with a partially torn meniscus. And, you know, Karis LeVert, He's averaging 12 points per game with the Cavs, shooting 36.4% from beyond the arc in his stint with Cleveland. Uh, Not playing all that great, even though he had 17 points last night against the Bulls. Um, What's going on with this Cavs team to uh, to you guys? And do you think Karis LeVert was a good fit for Cleveland? I really don't hate the Karis LeVert trade. I think that we're getting what we kind of expected out of him, just kind of being that role player who can kind of spread the floor out a little bit. Um, contribute defensively. Um, But I think what is wrong with this Cavs team is that they've weathered so many injuries throughout the season. They've been able to overcome them. And then now that their best player in Jared Allen, their best all-around player is out, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back because now they are just not the same defensively. They're just not being as aggressive or efficient up front they're struggling in transition and they're just committing way too many turnovers, especially late in the game. That's been the story of pretty much all week. We saw it versus the Lakers. We saw it versus uh, uh, the the Bulls. And so it's just, there's just been a lot that's happened this season that they've been able to weather. And just this one injury to Jared Allen, which puts him out indefinitely. It's 
pretty much the nail in the coffin right there. And I, I don't want to call it an implosion, but it's come at the absolute worst time, and you really want to see them bounce back now. I have three takeaways on the Cavs. One, you're correct. Jarrett Allen being out hurts us extremely bad at the absolute worst time. Two, have you guys noticed how inconsistent Jetty Osman is as yeah. of late? Yeah. He can't be playing like that. We need I mean, I know he's not like a major player, but he's a he's a consistent role player. You gotta you just can't you can't be that inconsistent in the NBA. I've never been that big of a Jetty Osman fan, but if he's gonna be on our roster, he needs to stay consistent with his numbers and stop fooling everybody that he's some sort of good player. And my third takeaway is is Kevin Love still alive after LeBron James was in his face? I'm I'm genuinely so curious. I is thought that, that could have been a charge, but it could have been. But it's LeBron, so man, he owes Kevin Love some dinner or something after that. That was that was yeah. embarrassing. Did you see LeBron's quote? Said he was still going to his wedding, yeah. something like that. <laughs> he said, well, "I still invited your wedding." He said, "I was walking, I was coming down the lane, and I was like, Kev, move, man, please move, yeah, don't let me do it to you." <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, poor Kevin Love. Um, yeah, he did get jammed on by LeBron James, um, unfortunately for Kevin Love, but it happens. And that was the first game of the week. It was the first loss of the week against the L.A. Lakers. We lost 131 to 120. Darius Garland had a great game, 29 points, 17 assists. We had five other Cavs in double digits with Karis LeVert, Laurie Markkinen, Lamar Stevens, Evan Mobley, and Isaac Okoro all in double digits for the game. And then the Lakers, LeBron James just went off, had a triple-double, 38 points, 12 assists, 11 rebounds. Uh, Russell Westbrook or was- Russell Westbrick uh, <laughs> was not bricking Hey, don't lot. call him that. He gets offended, he said. He gets offended and yeah. sad. Yeah, <laughs> not, not bricking too many shots in Cleveland, though. Had 20 points and 11 assists. What did you guys make of this Lakers loss? Why did they have to come alive in Cleveland? They had to... It was probably because of LeBron's homecoming, but that yeah. that just makes me so mad because the Cavs, they were pretty good offensively. They kept up uh, through most of it, but again, going back to uh, Jared Allen's injury, that completely changes our entire defensive uh, chemistry there, and we just could not stop them from the field. We were committing too many turnovers uh, late in the game, and that let the Lakers run away with the win, and for as bad as they've been, they do have that firepower. They do have that, you know, they have LeBron who's playing out of his mind, even at his age. And you know that when he's coming back to Cleveland, he's only going to be playing better. And uh, Russell Westbrick, he's still a talented player. Even if he's not a good fit, you still can't sleep on the Lakers. And so that's ended, that ended up happening, and uh, you saw how it went. Going back to something Jake said to me a few weeks ago, it always seems that, there's always some sort of circumstance when teams play the Cavs. Yep. It's either they get one of their their big-time players back or teams like the Lakers just come alive. Yeah, I've noticed it, that. It doesn't make sense, but Jake is right. It's always against the Cavs. You can and say that again. It's always against the Cavs. Always? <laughs> I was talking about that me being right part, but that's okay. You you being right? Yeah, that's the part I you was You are right on this. But we'll see if that continues. Okay. We need a Jake is right sounder or something. You're right. <laughs> Jake You're is right. right. But yeah, I think that that loss just had a lot to do with LeBron playing in Cleveland. It usually does. I kind of expected that one to be a loss. Honestly, it's he's just always on some sort of other planet when he comes back to Cleveland, like Dan said. 
Yeah. Maybe he's giving us a preview of what's to come. Maybe he'll uh, come no, back and no. play out of his mind. All right. Perhaps. So we said we wouldn't be hostile <laughs> with Logan, but I do disagree with you on this. Why would you not want LeBron back in Cleveland? Because LeBron James comes vocal. home and he tanks our young core for a maximum of like three years. What does he really? He comes here. Oh, you're, you don't like you? You're out. Coach, eh, I don't really need you. You're out. I just don't. He just doesn't work. In Cleveland, and if he I comes mean, back, I, I mean, he works anywhere. That's not the right word. LeBron James works anywhere. Yeah, but I just don't think we should end up selling the farm for a guy that doesn't even have more than four to five years and left I don't in think, the tank. I don't think we would. I think I, I agree that when you bring him in, and I've said this before, you're not just adding someone of his talent. You're changing the entire chemistry of the team. And I really like the chemistry that we have. Right. when we're healthy, of course. Um, but at the same time, I think at this point in LeBron's career, again, I mean, he's an ageless wonder. So you, it's like, is he going to retire in three years? Is he going to keep playing? Is he going to be like Brady and play until his mid forties? I don't know. Retire and unretire. Yeah. So if he like, if he comes back to Cleveland, Kobe Altman would have to make it clear that he is not going to be the GM. Yes. He is going to have to be just another piece of this Cavs team, and I think that LeBron. I would think he'd be willing to accept that just because he's playing back in Cleveland again and yep. would likely retire here. And by then, which, you know, his contract doesn't expire until after next season, if I'm not mistaken, by then he might be on the decline. Like I said, he's an ageless wonder, so who knows? But I would assume that if we brought him back, it would have to be made apparent that he would not be in control of everything. We'd yeah. have to keep the young core together. I'd, I'd like to see him... Obviously, difference in like minutes and stuff. I'd like to see him become somewhat of a Udonis Haslam, like what Udonis Haslam is for the Heat. He could, he could come in here and if he comes back, he'd play for a few years. But maybe he like decides to take a step back when he does finally start declining. Which who knows? Like you said, that may or may not even happen. But if he, I'd like, I'd be okay with him being on our roster if he's declining. If he's going to take a backseat and act like Udonis Haslam and mentor our younger players, don't trade them away. Don't say, I don't like no. this guy. Get him out. No. I would you, definitely not trade for him, but if he's wanting to sign back here for yes, a, no a team trade. friendly deal where, like yeah. I said, he'd be willing to take kind of a lesser role, not even so much like a bench player, just just be a just be a player. Right. Then I would I'd be willing to see that happen again and have him retire here in Cleveland. And at this point in his career, I think LeBron would be willing to do that. I think he would be willing to I think to he's do... tired of carrying teams. Look at Exactly. He's like breaking his back and he's he's getting all these injuries from carrying he's LA. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna if he comes to the Cavs, you know, we have our young core. A lot less work for him to do. Exactly. I think he would sign a team friendly deal. He doesn't need any more money than he already has. And I don't think he would want to be the GM of the team. I think he'd be willing to take that step back. And just play naturally with the Cavs. And I'd, I'd like to see it happen. I would. Um, if it doesn't happen, I'm not saying it's bad for the Cavs. If it doesn't happen, I don't think it's something that the Cavs should go out and chase after. Um, right. But if it happens, I'd like to see it. So that's where I lie on the LeBron James to Cleveland debate. Um, but back to the Cavs and their week. After the loss to the Lakers, we move on to lose to the Toronto Raptors, 117 to 104. Uh, this loss definitely hurt in the Eastern Conference rankings. Uh, Darius Garland, another double double, 18 points, 10 assists. Laurie Markinen was the highest score for the Cavs with 20. And Pascal Siakam went off 
for the Raptors. 35 points, 6 assists, and 5 rebounds. Any takeaways from the Raptors game, and why did this game get out of our hands? It Again, it was a tale of turnovers. They are just struggling with turnovers left and right, whether it's in transition, whether they're just getting too careless with their passes. Uh, it's just unacceptable to have so many turnovers. And we really, for the most part, kept up with the Raptors for most of the game. It wasn't like completely out of hand, at least from my observation. So even if the Cavs committed like half of the turnovers they had, I think that they would have had a much more realistic shot of ending up with the win. But again, just they're just committing way too many turnovers, and that's leading to them struggling defensively. And you just hate to see it, especially against these good teams. And you hope that they can find a way to bounce back against the worst teams that we're going to end up playing next week, which we'll get to. But that's my yeah. takeaways from this game. Like I said, inconsistency. Looking at the stats... This is one of Chetty Osmond's inconsistent games. He played 12 minutes, which for a role player is a decent amount of minutes. He was 1 for 5 and 0 for 3 from 3-point for two for 4 points and 3 fouls. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on now. That, why is he even still on the Where floor? was the Chetty Osmond from last month? Right. Just just be consistent. And then He's looking I think like that, the 2021 Chetty Osmond yes. again. And I think that goes... Through the whole team, and I agree yeah. with Dan. It's a it's a game of turnovers, and the Cavs were on the complete wrong side of that. Yeah, I do think it's tough too when you have so many guys out, and when you're coming in as that role player, you're not playing with the same guys that you're used to playing, and I think it's just causing a lot of disruption in this Cavs team, especially since they're so young and not used to this much turbulence. I'd say, uh, you know, even when Ricky Rubio went down, we were all right. Signed Rondo, got Karis LeVert, and now just uh, Jared Allen going out. It's really tough for this Cavs team to stay competitive, and this Raptors loss really hurt because now the Raptors and Cavs were tied for the sixth spot in the Eastern Conference, and then with our loss last night to the Bulls, which we'll get to, and the Raptors win last night against the Pacers, the Raptors take our number six spot, and we move down to the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. So you hate to see it there. Um, but speaking of our loss last night to the Bulls, we did lose 98-94. to uh, Darius Garland didn't get a double-double, but he did score 28 points, had five assists and six rebounds. Karis LeVert bounced back, had a nice game with 17 points. And the, the duo for the Bulls, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, both scored over 20 points. Any takeaways from the Bulls' loss last night, gentlemen? Um. I mean, do I have to say it again? Just too many turnovers. And also, they've missed way too many shots early on and pretty much throughout most of the game, really. In the first half, they went one for 18 from the three. Oof. Just absolutely unacceptable. And I think that only one came from uh, Lowry Markinen. And I th- that was also the lowest scoring half of the season for the Cavs. And I've also noticed that the score makes it seem like it was a lot closer than it really was. We did have a comeback going there in the fourth, and then it went back down again and went back downhill. And then kind of like in the last minute during garbage time, it would seem to make a decent comeback, but realistically we knew it wasn't going to happen. Uh, but, yeah, when you're that cold against a team like the Bulls, who have also kind of struggled as uh, as of late, you know, when, when you're competing against these teams that are kind of in the same area of the the playoff picture, you have to win these games, no matter how good they are. 
you have to win them. And the Cavs are struggling against teams that have also kind of had their fair share of struggles. And so you really hate to see it, and you would have hoped that this would have been a game that they could bounce back, but it just didn't happen. And they just can't be cold, as cold as they were from the field like they were. It's just so unfortunate to see a team that we were all so excited for at the beginning of the season. They were like third or fourth in the East. It's so unfortunate that circumstances like injuries, circumstances like inconsistency are all coming into play now as opposed to early. And I think that showed in the Bulls' loss. I just think that they're defeated and their star player isn't playing. Like Jared Allen, he makes a difference in the locker room. He makes a difference on the court. He makes a difference when he's on the bench. I just think it's it's tough for them without a guy like him being on the floor, and it's tough it's tough to watch because they deserve to they they're better than a play in team. Yeah, and you can tell it's really hurting their confidence too because I think that's what's getting that's what's one of the reasons why all these turnovers are happening because they just look so careless careless with the ball that you haven't really seen. It's like they just don't have that chemistry that they used to have. Yeah, I do agree with all of your guys' thoughts on this game. Um, we did shoot 22.6% from behind the arc. Um, I know we went one for 18 in the first half, like you said, Dan. Just abysmal shooting. And even when we did get back into the game, down the stretch in that fourth quarter, we were just forcing shots. Like, we came all the way back in a flow of the offense, playing to our strengths, using the bigs in the middle. And then we just let that go really close in the fourth quarter. And we just start forcing shots outside of the flow of our offense. And we end up losing the game. So, it is what it is there, and like you said, Dan, it definitely stings to lose to these Eastern Conference teams that are right in the mix with us. Uh, the Bulls right now sit at fifth in the Eastern Conference, but they're only two games ahead of us, so if we were to win that game, we would still be sitting ahead of the Raptors and only a game behind the Bulls for number five in the Eastern Conference. So these past two losses definitely hurt the most, and I do agree with you guys. We are better than a play-in team, but right now we're just not playing that way. And honestly, it's been like a tale of two halves to the season. Mm-hmm. First half, we were electric. We were the surprise team of the whole NBA. And we were in the 2-3 seed in the East. And now we're sitting in a play-in spot. I feel like we're the opposite of the Boston Celtics because the Celtics yeah. were complete, yes. complete trash in the beginning of the season. And now they are a half game out of the first spot in the Eastern Conference for the Celtics. So just been a tale of two halves for both teams. Um, unfortunately, the Cavs are getting the rougher half right now heading into the playoffs only about a week and a half two weeks left until the nba playoffs too so hopefully the Cavs can get some momentum behind them in this upcoming week we do face the magic and mavericks at home before going on a bit of a road stint against the hawks and knicks in those four games coming this week what are your guys' thoughts on those four matchups and what our record might look like after this week of play I mean, this may sound redundant and kind of obvious, but they these really are must-win games. And not only that, but they are very winnable games, too. This, If they are going to bounce back and get out of the play-in tournament and have a playoff seed, they have to win these games. At least three of the four games, they have to win. And you just cannot enter the postseason in the slump that they're in. So this is the perfect opportunity now. I know I've said this for a week but there's not been a better time, a more crucial time to get back on track than now. I was just talking about this literally last night with my friend Justin. So the Magic, I give us the Magic easily. The Magic are terrible. If we can't beat the Magic, then there's a serious issue. Then we don't deserve to be. There is a serious issue if we can't beat the Magic. The Mavericks, 
toss-up, in my opinion. Luke has been playing lights out. I think we can beat them, but it all depends on if we can contain him or not. And I think the Hawks, we should be able to beat them, but that's just one of those teams where, that's one of those games with the Cavs where you're like, maybe, maybe they will, maybe they won't. I would say they probably come away with that win. And then another team, if we cannot beat the New York Knicks, then we got a big problem. Yeah, yeah. we've played good against the Knicks this season. Um, and I agree with you. I think the Magic and Knicks games should be easy wins. But right now, nothing's coming easy to this team. The Mavericks is a toss-up. But I do think we probably drop that game. And then the Hawks, who knows? Trey Young will either go off or he'll be quiet. So I'll say... We th- seem to do pretty well against them this year. Yeah, so. I, I will say we'll probably go 3-1, and one, maybe 2-2 two and two this week. Hopefully not worse than that, um, and maybe pick up some ground in the Eastern Conference standings. Right now we are a play-in team. Hopefully that is not the case. Uh, just looking at the Raptors' upcoming schedule, though, since we're kind of neck and neck with them, the Raptors play the red-hot Celtics tomorrow night, so that fares well for the Cavs. And then they go on to play the Timberwolves, Magic, and Heat. So, you know, Timberwolves and Magic might be wins for the Raptors, but then playing your Miami Heat, Logan. Oh, yeah, the Heat are balling. Well, they're not balling right now, actually, which yeah. is unfortunate. But we'll get back. We're so, still a two seed. So if the Raptors do lose to, heat, to the Heat, they're looking at two and two um, in their upcoming schedule. So the Cavs, if they can potentially go three and one, um, we, will get, we could get back that six spot in the Eastern Conference. So... Let's hope that happens this week, but good luck to Darius Garland and company. Uh, just talking about the NBA in general, though, um, uh, Logan, you mentioned that your Heat are not playing too well right now. The Brooklyn Nets beat them last night 110-95, to and uh, the Nets right now, they sit behind the Raptors and Cavs for eighth in the Eastern Conference. But the big thing going on with the Nets right now, in my opinion, is the eligibility of Kyrie Irving to play at home. He is now able to play games at home in Brooklyn, which, in my opinion, makes this team much more dangerous. What do you guys make of the Nets right now late in the season? And what does Kyrie's home eligibility fare for this team heading into the playoffs? They are definitely better as a team than they are than their uh, stand than the record shows, I should say. I think that this is the absolute perfect time for them to get Kyrie Irving back and to be hot again because I think that they this is like the perfect chance for them to shoot way up in the standings and be that surprise team. I put that in quotes because, I mean, if you look at the, the seeding and stuff, you think, oh, wow, that's, that's incredible. But when you look at their talent, they definitely are better than what their record shows. So I think that getting Kyrie Irving back will be huge for them, and I think that they're going to give – Pretty much every team in the East run for their money. I I said that the Miami Heat would end up winning the East, but with how the Nets can come back, I it's it's a toss-up. I could definitely see them going all the way. Man, there's no question that the Heat are still coming out of the East. I'll never <laughs> change my stance on that. The Miami Heat will win the East, but if we're going to talk about the Nets, I think Dan is right. I think Kyrie Irving makes a very big difference being able to play in their home games just because... That's something that that team doesn't have to, they don't have to worry about that anymore. Now they have him and Katie's back from injury. They definitely can make a run. It's it's just so unfortunate for them that they're so good and they're just not going to get past the heat. They're just not, they're just not <laughs> we'll see about that. What's unfortunate for the Nets is that they're a playing team, which means their first round matchup would not be, not be favorable, favorable for them. 
Um, but I do think that they have what it takes to maybe upset a team. Do you think they end up being a play-in team, though, after these last couple of games? Or do you think they make I, a push out of the play-in? I could see either or. Um, right now they are in eighth, but they are t- they're two games back from the Cavs for the seventh spot. Um, I just think they're a little too far behind. Um, I know there's a lot, uh, a lot of season left and more games to be played, but just sitting two games behind the Cavs for the seventh spot, I don't see them picking up too much ground in the East. I can see them getting to the seven and maybe the six, and if that's the case, they can definitely. I can see them upsetting some teams later on. Like yeah. if they were in the play-ins, I think they could easily beat pretty much all any of those teams, and I think they could upset teams like Toronto and uh, Chicago. Yeah, I do agree with you. Um, and if the Cavs keep on slipping, you know, the Nets could pass the Cavs, but I have hope in my Cleveland Cavaliers that they'll be able to get the job done and at least stay at number seven, but hopefully climb the Eastern Conference rankings as well. Again, we just got to win three of our next four at least. Yeah, just each game at a time, but of course... Uh, thinking about it that way, three out, three out of three out of the next four. My goodness, but yeah, hopefully the Cavs can get it done this week. Um, favorable schedule, but we'll see how it goes. Other storylines in the NBA: the Memphis Grizzlies are hot right now in the Western Conference this season. They're seventeen and two without John Morant, third in offensive rating, first in defensive rating, and first in net rating without the best player on the floor. Oof. Memphis is dangerous right now, sitting at number two in the Western Conference. So I think the Grizzlies can make a far run into the playoffs. Uh, The number one team in the West, though, actually clinching that number one seed this week was the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Chris Paul came back, scored 17 points and 13 assists. And the 140 to 130 win over the Denver Nuggets, what a game that was. Uh, The Nuggets or the Suns right now are 60 and 14. And I think Monty Williams will likely be the NBA coach of the year for the Suns. Um, Any takeaways from the NBA right now, gentlemen, as we approach our next break? I think I said this last week, and I'll stick by it. I think Phoenix, it's pretty much their title to lose. They were very hot without Chris Paul, and now that they got him back, they're only going to get better. Um, They have the best record in the league, really, and I think that for as hot as the Grizzlies are, I think that the Western Conference is the Suns to lose, so I'm sticking with that. I would say the Miami Heat are winning the NBA championship. I think you're wrong there. Okay. Yeah, but we'll, we'll see. I do think the Suns are a great team. I think the Suns will end up being the team the Heat play in the finals because it does appear that it might it might be their title to lose. I which they're gonna lose week, it to the Heat. But uh, yeah, well last week I I'll, I'll give you this. I did have the Miami Heat actually beating the or winning the East. I had the Suns defeating them in six in the finals. I that's a valid I, prediction. I honestly, think, I think it'll be a very good matchup if that matchup happens again. The East is very good, so we'll see what comes out of it. But if Miami ends up going all the way, if Suns go all the way, I think that it it will be a very exciting matchup right there. I'm not too confident the Heat have the East in their hands. Mm. Um, Here we go, Jake. But for the <laughs> and let it begin. But for the West, um, I, I would love to see a Suns and Grizzlies Western Conference Finals. That'd be a that'd good be, matchup. Oh yeah, I think that'd be incredibly entertaining. How can and you not love the Grizzlies? How could? Yeah, yeah, really. Um, John Morant, John Morant's one of my favorite non-Cavs players. Yeah, he's going to be the future of the NBA very, very soon. Um, so that will wrap it up for our 
Cavs and NBA talk. When we come back, I'm very excited to, to talk about baseball, the MLB, and our very own Cleveland Guardians as we approach the beginning of the regular season. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back with more SBT. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. It is SPT. My name is Jake Murrin, and I am the host of your show today. Joining me are my analysts, Logan Congrove. What's going on? And Dan Groen. Good afternoon, y'all. You're still disagreeing with everybody, Dan? Is that still going to be a yeah. thing? Yeah, right. I'm going to. All right, well, we'll see because around those days, around the room is coming up very, very soon. So we'll see what you have to say about that. Um, but the MLB, of course, is starting very, very soon. Spring training well underway. Now that the lockout is over, thank goodness it's over. Uh, opening day currently slated for April 7th. And the MLB did come out with a couple last-minute rule changes. Nothing too crazy, of course, but just to tidy some things up. So first, they did extend the... The roster size to 28 men until May 1st, uh, just because spring training had a late start. They're just yeah. they're making that change. I think it's a good change. It makes sense. Something that the MLB did that actually makes sense. Shocker. <laughs> I know. Um, but good for them there. I can't say I disagree with that. Yeah, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. I don't know why. But I'm hoping I can disagree with something. All right. I mean, <laughs> Around the Roo is coming up very soon, so Man. we'll see. Um, another thing <laughs> that changed were the doubleheaders. They are now back to nine innings. Um, instead of that seven-inning, short little games, they're back to nine innings. How do we feel about that one? How I, do think that's a, I think that's a good move for the baseball. I like that. I actually I, don't like it. Really? Okay. Yeah, I don't well, like here it. we go. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm under the impression or the mindset that baseball should be, how, should be played how it's played. I, I don't like to be like one of those old head fans that complains about any sort of change that happens. You know, no matter how bad baseball, the the state of baseball is in, they don't want any sort of change. I'm not like that, but I also think that it can't change too much of it. The unwritten rules. Yeah, all definitely. that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I I mean, the double headers being seven innings, I, I did like them, but at the same time, I also don't think that just because there's going to be two games being played on the same day that we need to change the structure of the game. Yeah. That's just my take. I honestly, I don't think it's a big deal. I'm not going to complain about it. I just like the seven inning double hitters because I think it was easier on the players and yeah, it also it made it easier for the viewers too. just in watching experience. Like you're going to watch 18 innings in one day. And instead yeah. with a seven inning game, you're watching 14 innings and like, I remember watching like 21 or 22 innings in one day. I think it was like the yeah. Indians uh, opener from, I don't even know how long ago it was, but it went like really late. The one game that always comes to mind is the Indians and Blue Jays game I from years that. ago in Toronto. Maybe that's what it was. The game was like literally 19 or 22 innings. I think, I think that's what it was. It was absurd. Um, but yeah, I just like the seven innings and... It just made the game so much more important inning by inning. Yeah. And like and in the third inning, we were like, oh, shoot, it's the third inning. We only have like four more, and then the game yeah. is over. So it puts and I a guess, lot of pressure on them. I guess this kind of contradicts what I said, but I think that if the MLB wants to expand their fan base a lot more, and this is going to come at the expense of, you know, traditional fan satisfaction, I think that they definitely could benefit from having seven innings just as a whole. Um, and also having a, a shortened season, 
because we saw how important those games were during that shortened season uh, last year, the year before, um, because every game was like three times as important as just a regular game would have been. So I think that having things being shortened a little bit without changing too much of the rules or anything, I think that'd be very beneficial in the long run. I just don't think that happens yeah. realistically. Absolutely. I did I did like the seven-inning doubleheaders. I'm not going to complain that they're back to nine innings. I just like that shortened game more, not more on the line per se, but just more intensity, innings yeah. one through seven, knowing that the game is over that much sooner. I didn't like that like pitchers were getting no hitters in seven innings, and they were still somewhat counting. Yeah, that was a little that yeah. was a little weird. But yeah, I'm not a fan of that because then you know you do have guys like Shane Bieber who will yeah. pitch a no hitter up until like the ninth, and then right. he'll exactly. allow like a single. But like if you would have done that in a doubleheader, it would have counted. So yeah, it not makes, a fan uh, of that. It makes my fantasy baseball league not so much fun. When <laughs> pitchers against me are throwing no hitters in seven innings, I could not get into fantasy baseball. It's so much fun. I'm it's sure. It, I'm sure I've if never you followed it, it, but like I tried doing like fantasy basketball and fantasy hockey. Fantasy baseball, I could Basketball is terrible. I hate fantasy. Fantasy basketball. basketball is really hard. The thing I like about fantasy football is just because it's 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 a game or it's yeah it's a game of weeks. You know, you switch out your players each week. Whereas like baseball, I mean, again, I've never played it, so. You probably, I probably don't know what what I'm talking about here, but it just seems like it just be so hard to keep up with because I can barely keep up with the season as a whole. Yeah. Like my attention span for the Indians slash Guardians usually lasts from like the time the NBA and NHL finals ends up until NFL uh, preseason begins. So it's a short window. So I just cannot, I just cannot get invested into like fantasy baseball. So. I feel like that's I, the biggest. I give you a lot of credit for for doing that. I feel like that's the biggest knock against fantasy baseball is because it can be hard to keep up with at times. But I just have a lot of fun with it, and it's one of those things where you know you have your lineup and you can pretty much keep that the same all week. Mm-hmm. The only thing you really have to change is your your pitching rotation because you have four bench players and starting pitchers get a lot of points. So yeah. I the way my league is formatted and the points and everything. You don't really draft relief pitchers um, because starting pitchers are just so much better, even though they only show up like one or two times a week. So really all you have to do is like see, okay, is your pitcher starting that day? If so, put them in, and that's really all it is. Um, Also, the waiver wires are a lot of fun because any player can get hot at any time in the MLB. Yeah. Um, Whereas in the NFL, you know, you might have your one or two sleepers that arise each season. But the MLB, it's like a month after month thing mm-hmm. where like this player might be batting 450 this month, but next month they might be batting 100. So right. I enjoy it a lot. And uh, I think it's broadening my baseball knowledge, too, because there's a lot of players that I wouldn't know unless they're on my team and or I'm facing them and they're doing a lot of stuff against me. So, yeah, maybe that maybe that would get me invested into it a little more because yeah. that does help me with my NFL knowledge, just knowing. Yeah. How players are doing. Plus, you can set your lineup like ahead of time. Um, right. It's so, like on Monday, you can set up your lineup for almost the entire week if you have time. That's good. Not a not an advertisement for ESPN Fantasy Baseball by any means, but I do enjoy playing it. Uh, one of the other rule changes, though, back to the MLB rule changes, um, they implemented an Otani rule is what they're calling it. Uh, all it is is that the pitcher can remain the DH after he's pulled from the mound. Um I don't think there's any debate here. I think it's a good rule. That's um, a good rule. Players like Otani are probably going to become more popular uh, p- 
batter and pitcher. Uh, and so I is think that he like, should be pulled. Is that an MLB wide thing? Like it is. So it's not going to be AL is DH only and NL is like how, how's that going to work? I'm actually not too sure. Um, I think they got rid of the universal DH. If not, they might be getting rid of it next season. Um, I think almost everybody's in favor of that as well. Yeah. So pitchers really should not be batting. But I will look that up right now. Actually. Okay. Um. But yeah, the Otani rule. Do you guys like the Otani rule? Um, pretty much it only I mean, applies for Shohei Otani right now. If he's pitching and he gets pulled from the mound, he can still hit in the game that he's playing. So a pitcher can still hit. They're just going to have that DH, not the the little bottom graphic. There is pretty much all it is, right? Like, because oh, so, I don't I don't have anything against it one way or another. It's just kind of it's just kind of weird because it just seems like a rule that you wouldn't think would have to be made, but. It's literally just for Shohei Otani because he's the only guy that pitches and hits. So the thing okay. is, like, if he's pitching, if he's scheduled to pitch tonight, for example, if he's pitching tonight and he's not having the greatest start, he gets pulled in the third inning. He gets pulled in the third inning, so he's not pitching anymore, but this rule allows him to hit oh, okay. third so, inning on. So okay. if he still is pitching, he can't hit, correct? No, he can do both. If he's pitching, oh, okay. he can hit. Yeah, so, okay. like, innings one through three where he's pitching and struggling pitching, he can still hit in those innings. The problem So then was, when he gets pulled, he can still hit. That's what it changed. That's, that's what the so, rule oh, okay. yes, so exactly before, So before, if he was pulled, he can't hit. That's exactly. If he was okay. pulled from okay. the mound, he was pulled from the game. Okay. Now, if he's pulled from the mound, he can still bat throughout the rest that's of the game. Really can you tell change. I'm a baseball expert here? Yeah. <laughs> Dan, baseball expert. Just says Jeff is our bracketologist. You're our baseball expert. my middle expert. name. Yeah. Um... But the Otani rule, like, now that you guys are familiar with it and understand it, do you like the rule, or what are your guys' thoughts? I like it a lot because it doesn't change. Like, say say Otani, because like you said, he's the only example of it right now. Say Otani is pitching terribly, but he's hitting fantastic. I I always thought, like, that's kind of unfair that you have to pull your, your best hitter yeah, well, just because well, he was on the mound. For that? Yeah. So yeah. I think it's a good rule change because guys like him are able to contribute in other ways if they're not going to be sustainable on the mound. Yeah, yeah that's I a agree. great example. Um, also, I did look it up. Rob Manfred announced that the MLB will implement a universal DH in 2022. So, great stuff there as well. Universal DH should have been a Manfred thing. Manfred did something, huh? Man, I can't stand that guy. But uh, beyond Rob Manfred... No one uh, hates baseball more than he does. You're not wrong. That's, that's a good quote. Uh but around the rue, it is time for around the rue, ladies and gentlemen, where we debate around the table and bring it to you via our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. It will be up as a poll after this segment here today. So the last rule change, the MLB announced that this is the last year of the quote unquote ghost runner in extra innings. So for those of you that might not know, in the MLB, if a game goes into extra innings, there's automatically a runner put on second base just to kind of speed up the game, make sure those 19 inning games don't happen. Um, you know, going back to like the people that are the original baseball followers might not like it, but does it make the game more exciting? That's up for debate. But this will be the last year that we do see the ghost runner. The MLB will get rid of it after this season. So the round the root question is simply should the MLB keep the ghost runner? We want to hear your thoughts. On our Twitter page, leave us a comment in the poll and just let us know why you think they should or not should or should not keep the Ghost Runner. But let's debate it right now, right here, gentlemen. Should the MLB keep the Ghost Runner? 
Not going to lie, when I first heard it, I did not like it at all. Because, like I said, I'm, I'm not, like, too conservative as a baseball fan. But I also, like I said earlier, baseball should be played how it's just traditionally played. I don't like having a lot of rule changes. But with that being said, it really has grown on me. Because, like you said, the, the reason they put it in was so you don't have games going into 19, 20, 21 innings. Um and it's actually a lot like, you know me, I always try to relate everything to hockey, but what they do in the NHL, and I think this is kind of a thing that came around more recently, was when it goes into overtime, they do a three-on-three overtime instead of five-on-five five because that allows for more room on the ice, a lot more uh, like fluidity, and it's a lot easier to shoot and score goals in that thing because they don't want every single game going into a shootout. So they they just have a three on three in overtime, and I think that's kind of what they're doing in baseball. So, so what you're saying is they should get rid of the center fielder in extra innings. Yeah, yeah. Get rid of the center fielder. It should only be a seven, maybe a six fielders out there. Yeah, love it. <laughs> Great <laughs> plan. Yeah, <laughs> Commissioner Dan over here. Yeah, Dan's got Put all kinds in. of titles today. Oh yeah, I'm Mister Commissioner now. There you go. You'd probably do a better job than Ron Manfred. That's that's what I'm saying. Uh, but should the MLB keep the Ghost Runner, in your opinion, Dan? Would you like them to I, keep it? It has grown on me, and I think it does add an element of excitement to the game. And like I said, even though I like traditional baseball, I'm also not afraid of making changes that would better the game and make it more exciting. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I think that they probably should keep it. Okay. We have a keep it from Dan. Logan, how about you? I'm on the same page as Dan. I am definitely one that thinks traditional baseball is the way it should always be played. But like Dan pointed to, I think that it does make it more exciting and it prevents those really long games, which even as a fan becomes kind of agonizing. So I think they should keep the Ghost Runner. I agree with both of you guys. Actually. No disagreement here. I should not have <laughs> gone to you first, Dan. Yeah, you would've I would have just... said the opposite. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> it's too late now. Your true beliefs are already on record. Yep. All three of us believe in the Ghost Runner, and you know I look at like the pitcher's standpoint because most of the pitchers don't like it. Uh, but at the same time, like if the games are going on for 18, 19 innings, the whole uh, bullpen is being used in that game. Yeah, so, and then you're going to run out of people. You're going to run out of arms, and right. then you're going to have to start recycling people. Right, relief pitchers are going to be exhausted. They're all going to be used, which hurts your status for your upcoming games. And you know even sometimes they will make the starter of the next game and put them in. So if, like, the game was Shane Bieber, they would put in Zach Plesak in that game because, you know, you're 14 innings deep and you don't have anybody in the bullpen to get the job done. Yeah. So And, I, you know, so, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I don't mind these changes as if it makes the game more exciting and if it solves, like, a long-term problem. Yeah. What I don't like is... There was talk about lowering the mound just because hitting was down. Like, yeah. I, I do not agree with that. I think that it's just weird because people, they want to see more offense, essentially. They want to see more hits. They want to see more runs and stuff. And that prolongs the game. But the same people are also complaining that the games are too long. And when you have a well-pitched game, those games are generally shorter. So I don't agree with, you know, making changes to, like, the field just to appease fans with you know what i mean like yeah, i've I, never thought of that before i, I just don't like yeah 
I, I would not want to see like them lowering the pitching mound and like whatever else they've talked about expanding the strikes. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that was ever a thing, but I yeah. I don't I don't mind change. I just don't want it to be too drastic of a change. Yeah, I agree with you. The only change that I was a fan of was like the bigger bases, just because that would help stealing just a little bit, but also like there were a lot of health factors into it like the bases had more grip on them yeah more room allowed for less like foot injuries for example where batters oh, yeah. or right fielders and batters and runners are not stepping you, on each other's feet and everything like that that and if you slide in wrong then exactly completely screw up your yeah. leg i did like that one um the removal of the shift after this year is going to be really interesting um it's going to extend games but it's also going to increase hit hits so again just like the hypocrisy right there um, mm-hmm. we'll see exactly how that plays out, but around the room, all three of us do agree that the MLB should keep the ghost runner. It's more entertaining in extra innings. And I think if the pitcher can, can get it done, if they have the skills, they should be able to get out of the inning if possible. The only thing I don't like about it is that it sets up like a bunce, gets a third and then a sack fly. Um, I hate when people or when teams do that, do that, go under that route in extra innings. Um, but unfortunately, you know, that's the strategy of baseball. So, and if one team does it, then the other team can do it too. So, yeah. both teams can do it. It's still fair. Uh, I do like the Ghost Runner. But moving on from the MLB role changes, let's get into our very own Cleveland Guardians. They opened the season on the road against the Royals in the Reds on April 7th. Uh, big storylines coming out of the Guardians, though, is their lack of spending. Uh, Essentially, the big storyline is there's no storyline. Yeah, we we talk about this every single off season, and it's the same thing every single off season. New name, disappointment, same disappointment. Yep, yep. And uh, this year we were 28th in the MLB in total payroll with 35.6 million. The top team was the LA Dodgers, who spent 270 million. So uh, you know, just over 200 million more than us. That's totally fine. Yeah. Uh, Jock Peterson had some. Jock Peterson had some words on Twitter to say about this. I actually retweeted this because I thought it was pretty powerful and pretty uh, representative of what I believe as a Guardians fan. He said, "Embarrassed for your fan base. Be better. If you can't sell your team to somebody that wants to show the fan base and baseball they're at least trying to compete. Sorry, unacceptable." So. I agree 100%. I completely agree with Jock Peterson. It is embarrassing seeing the Guardians continuously being at the bottom of the payroll in free agency spending. This season, we only spent $900,000 in free agency. It was the second fewest behind only the the Oakland A's who spent actually nothing. So at least we're not Oakland, but not much better, only spending nine hundred dollars Just what do you guys make of, you know, Jock Peterson's comments and... Again, this coming around to bite the Guardians' uh, lack of spending power and lack of wanting to improve our team for the fans. It doesn't matter that we have a new name because it's the same owner and it's going to be the same old story. We are always going to be at the bottom when it comes to spending as long as Paul Dolan is owning the team. Um, I was excited about having that new minority owner Yes, in there. I think that he... I believe that in that contract, there is like a path for him to fully take over. And I think that would be huge. I don't know how soon that happens, but it better happen sooner than later because I don't want to have to keep wasting years of talent of having, you know, Shane Bieber and Jose Ramirez being like the only stars because, you know, we're going to trade them eventually. 
Yeah. You know, and no, who knows how long Terry Francona is going to be around. He's had a lot of health scares. So you want to have, you want to spend the money when you have a good foundation. The front office is pretty good with given what, given what they're dealing with. And, but so that, that needs to happen soon because they're losing so many fans just over the years. And I think that with the name change, I think that not necessarily the name change itself, but it seems like when the Indians, they weren't the Indians anymore. It seemed like any hope or any of the glory that they had back, you know, in the early 2000s and then like 2016, 2017, just kind of went out the window with that. And it seems like there's just not enough passion about them anymore outside of just traditional baseball loyalists. And it's it's concerning to see. So I want to pose you guys a question real quick. I thought about this this morning and, you know, it's always disappointing to see the Guardians payroll and see what we're doing in free agency or the lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Who who do we blame here? Because I know, you know, the Paul Dolan boxing match, um, just we, we hate the Dolans. They don't want to improve the team. And it sucks as fans to watch the Guardians lose and all that. But whatever. Would you blame the owners of the team or would you blame the MLB for not setting a salary cap or salary I'd, floor. I'd like, give me a percentage, like 60, 40%, something like that. I say, MLB owners to um, the MLB itself. I say 50, 50 because they're, it, it, you know, it's not exclusive to Cleveland. There's definitely huge problems when it comes at in the MLB uh, that none of the other leagues have, uh, quite frankly. Um, but at the same time, there are smaller market teams that do spend money that can compete. You know, you got your Milwaukee uh, Brewers. They're always in the mix there because they spend money. They're aggressive. Same with the Twins. Um, And so there's really not a huge excuse for Paul Dolan not to at least try to get some talented players without... Because he... A couple of years ago, he would spend a lot of money, but it would end up being on players who are like well out of their prime. You need to get players while they're in their prime, get them for the right price, and then just not waste the careers of Jose Ramirez because he's here on like the most team friendly deal in all of sports. You know, he really should not even be in Cleveland because he deserves to be paid so much more than he is. And it's only going to be a matter of time before he ends up going elsewhere, which is concerning to see because he seems to love it here, but knowing how things go here, he might not be around for much longer. And I hate to say that, but they just need, they need to spend money on building this team and not just having a star player here or there that, you know, you're going to end up trading away. So I think it goes both ways. I think it's a baseball problem and I think it's a problem with ownership. Yeah. That's the reality of the Cleveland guardians organization. Logan, I'll kick it to you though. Uh, give me a percentage of who you would blame, MLB owners or the MLB itself. I would also say 50-50, but with a little bit more, honestly, maybe 51-49. I would say 51% are owners. I mean, this has been happening for years. Like Dan said, every time we get a good player, they're around for a few years. They might be successful, they might not, and then we end up either trading them or letting them walk because we we just don't pay anybody. It makes no sense. And then the other 49%, I would say yes, definitely is a baseball problem because we should be setting at least a minimum as to what these players should be getting, what their what their worth is to the teams they're playing on. Because if you don't do that, then it gives guys like the Dolans power to pay whatever they want or pay however little 
however exactly. little or however much they want, and which on their end, it's however little they can get. So I've been doing a lot of thinking about this question. That's why I brought it up. I'm kind of more so 75% on the MLB and 25% on the owners because if you're the Dolans from a business perspective, why not do what you're doing? You know, sure, you could bring in a lot of players. Sure, you could pay a lot of money to these players and get a good fan base and win championships, and that's all fun and good. But at the same time, they're still making a lot of money, and they're not spending nearly as much as they're making on the players that are out there on the field making that money for them. And I think the MLB should be accountable in not allowing this to continue to happen because we see it with the former Indians, now Guardians, every single year. We see it with other teams every single year. These teams that could be successful, but because of their owners and people in charge who are not willing to spend the money on their players, just don't want to. And from a business standpoint, fair enough. But from an MLB standpoint, I think they should do better and implement at least a salary floor in which which owners like the Dolans would be forced to probably sell the team and then we could finally have some more competition in the MLB, too. Right. And I think that's a big problem, too. We always see teams like the Dodgers come, come up and um, arise as World Series favorites. I think more competition would be a result of a salary floor or cap as well. So I do blame the MLB itself more. Dan, I know you have something I would, to say, so go ahead. I was going to agree with that with the salary floor because they're realistically with how the Yankees and the Dodgers – and you know all the big market teams pretty much control the MLB. They would never agree to a salary cap for as much as the MLB needs one. It's like far beyond that. I mean, they should have done that years and years ago, but can't really do anything about that now. But the the least you can do is implement a salary floor of like say, I don't know, a hundred million, not thirty five point six that the Guardians are paying right now. <laughs> <laughs> nah, just a little bit more than that. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm just tired of trading away guys for some knockoff, crumbled up baseball card, you know, for dirt. It's, it's just so frustrating. And for as much as I want to support this team and that I've supported them for years, I just don't know. I just don't know why I keep giving them all my time and, and whatever, when they just never, they just never spend money on it. Yeah. It is a little disappointing. I do put a lot of the blame on the MLB itself. In terms of the Guardians, though, um, there was a nice tweet from Guardians Prospective, their Twitter account, and, you know, it, it gives me some optimism because I am an optimist and I still will watch the Guardians this season. I will still root for them yeah. to try and get into the, the playoffs this year. But, you know, last year they did finish with 80 wins with, a young, with the youngest team in the MLB. Their starting rotation was decimated by injury all year long. We get that back. Their second best hitter was out six weeks in Fran Mil Reyes. And, you know, we're continuing the development of young players throughout this offseason. And we have a farm system ready to help in guys like Owen Miller, Gabriel Arias, and Oscar Mercado willing to help. And, uh, you know, and Tito's back. So, yeah, love to see that. So hopefully the Guardians Just hope they stay healthy. That's our pretty much our best bet. Exactly. So hopefully we can stay healthy, especially our starting rotation. I wouldn't be surprised this season if, you know, we're back to our bread and butter of Offense is super weak, but our starting rotation gets us to where we need to be, not only in the AL Central, but in the MLB playoff picture as well come October. So I'll do it for MLB and baseball. But before we cut it to break, we're actually going to hear an interview from our very own 
Jeff Longville, our bracketologist, went into the golf world a little bit, speaking with Solomon Petrie, a very young golfer, um, one of the best in America, as Jeff has said, and as many people believe, he committed to Kentucky. So here he is, and we'll be back with more Sports Power Talk. Today, I'm joined by one of the best high school golfers in the United States, currently playing for Archbishop Hoban High School right here in Akron, Ohio, and a commit to the University of Kentucky in the class of 2022. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Solomon Petrie. Solomon, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me on the show, man. No problem, no problem. So my first question is, I'm interested to know when did you start to take an interest in the sport of golf? Um, that was probably when I was three. Three was the first time I picked up a club. I started playing competitively when I was five. Okay. So at a very young age then? Yeah. And then, my dad was watching TV when I was three is when I started. Right. And then that love for the game just kind of expanded over time? Yeah, especially when I hit the age probably 13, 13, 14 is when I got really serious. Ah, okay. So, I have a list of everything that you've accomplished so far. And I'm going to try my best to not run out of breath as I say all of them because this is quite the impressive list. So far, you have been a 2021 AJGA Rolex Junior All-American selection. You have three top three finishes in AJGA events, a 2017 USKG Teen World Champion, a 2020 AJGA Imperial Headwear Junior Classic Champion, a two-time All-Ohio First Team Selection, an All-Ohio Second Team Selection, a state champion, an 18-hole school record at the under-8 par at the Portage Country Club in the Hoven Invitational, a school record with a season average of 71, a sectional record of under-6, a 17-time high school medalist honoree. You have seven medalist honors in your senior season alone, and the 2020 Akron Beacon Journal Player of the Year. So that's everything you've done so far. How do you feel after already accomplishing all of this before you head off to college? Um, I feel good, but at the same time, not so much because there's a lot of stuff I didn't accomplish mm-hmm. in all that time. So, I mean, it just makes me want to work harder. Right. So I don't have any of those doubts that... I don't know if I want to call them doubts, just like, what's the one I'm trying to use? Hmm. Kind, of, kind of just like, not, not failure, but like just not reaching the goals that you set. Because there was many goals my senior season I didn't reach. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have that feeling again. Like right. a feeling of regret. Right, okay, okay. Well, you know what? Yeah. It seems to me like you have very high expectations for yourself. And I think that's the way you ought to be. But, you know, I if I were you, I would still be proud of all the stuff that you've done. Oh, yeah, I, I am, for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's still stuff that, you know, you can always do to get better. Right, right. That. right. I like that mindset. I really do. Um, so, a few months ago, you committed to the University of Kentucky. What other schools took an interest in you? Um, Illinois University, Rutgers University, Coastal Carolina, Louisville University and um, Kent State were like the main ones. Okay. Um, besides Kentucky. Out of curiosity, uh, was Ohio State, did they take any interest in you at all? Um, They did, kind of, but that's kind of a long story on what happened with that. 
Do you feel like elaborating? Um, it was sort of, I had a call set up with the coach. Coach never called, which I'm fine. Like, it's okay that you missed the call, but he never told me that he couldn't talk. And then he texted me at like 1030 at night saying he forgot. Mm. And I had a couple other coaches from other schools I'm not going to name who, when they couldn't talk, they would call me and say that they couldn't talk at the time that we had scheduled. Right. Texting me. And, and that's all I've. That's all I needed. It was like it's kind of just a respect thing. Mm-hmm. And then Ohio State, like I kind of, I'm not a big fan of Ohio State athletics because they kind of because of football. Because Ohio State's so good at football every year, mm-hmm. the rest of the university kind of just thinks that they're the best and everything. It's kind of a cocky attitude that I just didn't really want to be a part of. Okay. At university. Okay. Well, as an Ohio State fan, I'm a bit disappointed that. They treated you with that level of disrespect because, you know, like you mentioned, obviously we're a football school, but, you know, being good at other sports would also help out as well. And, yeah, I don't really blame you, honestly, for feeling that way towards Ohio State. Yeah. It hurts me it, to say it, that, honestly, but, I mean, I get it. Yeah. It's like just a respect thing. Like, right, Especially yeah. in the game of golf. Golf's about respect and integrity. Mm-hmm. And if you can't show me that, I really don't want to play for a program. Right, right. All right, that was Solomon Petrie. You can check out the full interview on SBT Overtime first thing tomorrow morning. So go check it out, listen, share, and download on all podcasting platforms. We're going to head to break, and we'll be right back with more Sports Power Talk. All right, we are back with more Sports Power Talk the last half an hour of SBT. My name is Jake Murrin. I'm your host of today's show. Joining me are my sports analyst, Logan Congrove. What's going on? And Dan Groen. What's good, y'all? All right, guys. As I said at the very top of the show, even in its offseason, the NFL might be the most mad thing in March, regardless of the NCAA tournament. This offseason has been nothing short of madness with the latest move in the NFL coming this week in a trade with the Chiefs and the Dolphins. Tyreek Hill is now a Miami Dolphin. The Chiefs received a 2022 first-round pick, 2022 second-round pick, 2022 fourth-round pick, 2023 fourth-round pick, and a 2023 sixth-round pick for the the star wide receiver. Gentlemen, what are your opinions about this Tyreek Hill to Miami blockbuster trade? The Chiefs? finessed them like hard that Tyree kill is a great receiver but I don't think Tua is that good first of all so you don't even have a guy that I personally think can even really throw to him and they got all you gave the Chiefs all those picks that's dangerous for the NFL I think the Chiefs won that hard yeah I mean I think that Tua I People were down on him a lot at first, like after his first year when he struggled, everyone thought he was going to be a bust. And I said, no, just give him some more weapons. And then he improved a little bit last year. It wasn't all that great. But I I still say I think Tyreek Hill is going to be what he needs. And if he can't get the job done, then I guess we'll know the answer on him. Um, But as far as Tyreek Hill goes, I think that he is on a very talented team, a very talented offense. And I think that if Tua can bounce back, I think that they can definitely compete for the AFC East. I still think it's the Bills' division to win, but I can see them definitely competing because 
this AFC, I'm telling you, it just keeps getting stronger and stronger. And it's, it's, I've never seen a conference be as stacked as the AFC is now. Absolutely. Just another team to compete against in the AFC. Um, Miami definitely improved from this trade, but I do agree with Logan here that the Chiefs won it. You know, the Chiefs went out and signed, uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling, I believe is how you pronounce it. Yes. Yep. So, uh, and Juju. And Juju. Oh. A fan favorite. I'm just thinking about like the TikToks between him and Jackson Mahomes. Did you see his video? Uh, he said, he did. said, I am not making any TikToks with Jackson Mahomes. I'm not here to be a distraction. So we'll see how long that he lasts. He literally made a TikTok in a Chiefs uniform. Yeah. I saw it. Whatever. Yeah. Juju. I can't wait to see him dancing on logos before getting blasted. Yeah. Juju, do your thing, I guess. But. Tyreek Hill, again, we all know he's a great player. I think he's going to do well in Miami, but I'm not totally sold on Tua as a starter in the NFL quite yet. So we'll see how that pairing goes. I do think it's still absolutely the Bills division. I think yeah. the Dolphins might be more competitive against the Bills because the Dolphins got swept out of the water against the Bills in both games last year. So we'll see how that division plays out. Um, I think Miami securely gets that number two spot maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be a battle between them and the Patriots, but we'll see. Uh, some other rumors around the Miami Dolphins, though, was one about the GOAT himself, Tom Brady. So if people don't know about the story, I will fill you in. So there are a lot of rumors of Tom Brady working on a trade to get him in Miami. Uh, it has been de- been debunked by national media But according to Dale Arnold of the New England Sports Network, Tom Brady was working on the trade to go to the Dolphins. And the reason why this is so significant is because Dale Arnold was also the first man to report Brady's move to Tampa Bay. So while, you know, it has been debunked by national media, it's still making some storylines because of this man, Dale Arnold. Um, What do you guys make of this storyline? Do you think it will happen? It's a long shot. What do you guys make of it? I think it's a long shot, but I think it could happen. Um, I don't think he just comes out of retirement for no reason. Other, I mean, of course, he loves the game of football. He's still clearly a fantastic quarterback. But I also get the vibes that him and Bruce Arians are not, that relationship is not as good as we think it is. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Brady end up in Miami, whether it's this year, next year, who knows. But I just don't think he comes out of retirement for no reason. Yeah, I, I think that it's a very good fit for him. I think it's a very good system where even if he's not the prime Tom Brady that he was, I think that he'll have a lot of good weapons in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Uh, defense was pretty good, especially toward the end there. I think that it can definitely be a system that he succeeds in. So I think he'll stay in Tampa, but I wouldn't be, now that I heard all that, I guess I can't say I'd be super shocked if he went to Miami. Yeah, it certainly could happen. I don't think it will, though. I think these are just rumors. I think Tom Brady will finish his career as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Um, Yeah, I just see the GOAT finishing in Tampa Bay. And why would he want to go to the AFC? That doesn't make much sense to me either. When in the NFC, he really only has to worry about the Packers and the Rams. Whereas in the AFC, you have to worry about... Everyone. Everyone at this yep. point. So I think Tom Brady is a lock in Tampa. He's been recruiting players to Tampa. Um, Leonard Fournette and Chris Godwin are staying with Tampa as well. So I think we'll see Tom Brady in a Buccaneers uniform until the day he actually calls it quits, whenever that is. Um, some other QB actions this offseason, though. It's been 
a wild offseason, especially at the QB position. You know, you have Russell Wilson to Denver, Carson Wentz to Washington, Matt Ryan to Indy, Mitchell Trubisky to Pitts, uh, Deshaun Watson to Cleveland, Marcus Mariota to the Falcons, uh, Aaron Rodgers re-signed with Green Bay. Obviously, we just talked about it. Tom Brady unretires. Matthew Stafford got extended by the Rams. And you still have teams like Carolina and Seattle in need of a QB. QB. Um, which team will succeed the most with their new quarterback this season? I think it. everything depends on what happens with Deshaun Watson. Because I think that if he doesn't get suspended, I think from a football standpoint alone, I think that Deshaun Watson is going to help the Browns tremendously. And this is arguably, I know we'll get to this later, arguably maybe the best team in the AFC. Because when you look at that offensive line and you look at the running backs and that defense really took a huge step up last year. And um, Logan, I know that you disagree on this, but I think that Baker could have been successful. I I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go down that that rabbit hole. Okay, I'm just saying that for as good as I think Baker is and will be, having an elite quarterback like Deshaun Watson, whose only question mark is the legal issues, which is a pretty big deal, but you made a huge investment in him, and because when's the next time you're going to have some elite quarterback who hasn't even hit his prime yet be available like that? So. I, I thought Baker could have been good. There was definitely reasons to question him, absolutely. There's really no questioning Deshaun Watson's talent. So I think that he can definitely take the Browns to that next level. I think that he's going to have the biggest impact. But in terms of the safest, I would have to say Russell Wilson on the Broncos because that was already a really good team, and they were just a good quarterback away from being true contenders, and I think that they're going to be right back in it now that they got Wilson. All right, Logan, how about you? I would also agree with Dan that Deshaun Watson is a major upgrade from Faker Mayfield. Okay, but oh. why going to go in? there? Why even rub it in? Because it finally happened. We finally don't have to deal with them anymore. I just don't want get why people like to trash Baker's character when then they I'm go not trashing around. his character. I will get to that. I will, I actually have something nice to say about him, but I'll wait okay. until we get to this segment about the Browns. But. I think that Deshaun Watson was in the MVP race. It was him and Patrick Mahomes before the year before he gets all the legal issues. So I think his talent is a major upgrade for the Browns. And now he has guys like Amari Cooper. He's We might get Jarvis back. Yeah, we definitely need but, more than just Cooper. Yeah, sure. of course. And But I also agree with you that I think Russell Wilson is a huge upgrade for the Broncos, a franchise that's already been in a good position. And this is that they were just a quarterback away. So I would say Russell Wilson to the Broncos or Deshaun Watson to the Browns. And I'll get to my Baker Mayfield comment later. So Okay, I can't wait to hear that. I do agree. Um, I think Russell Wilson to Denver is going to be the most successful QB transaction this offseason. You know, Russell Wilson, we can't say enough good things about him. And, you know, they already had the weapons on the offensive side of the ball. Adding the weapon in Russell Wilson will just tie it all together. You know, Russell Wilson's already having practices with uh, the Denver wide receivers, so I really see that relationship building already and being successful this season, and I think Denver has a really good shot at potentially winning the AFC the AFC in general, and maybe even being in that Super Bowl conversation at least by the time the season is over. Um, but let's get into the Browns. Um, before we get to that comment, Logan, 
Um, I know, Dan, you wanted to talk about the press conferences that happened when Deshaun Watson was introduced to Cleveland media, and there was a second one between the Haslams. What were the biggest takeaways, in your opinion, Dan, on both press conferences and how they went? So I know that, Logan, we talked on air about this a little bit, and you kind of disagree, but I think that the Watson slash Stefanski slash Andrew Barry press conference went about as, as expected. It went pretty well. I think Watson handled himself very well. Um, it was interesting to hear that he kept saying that he did not do any of the stuff. He didn't stay quiet about it. He didn't say, I'm just going to leave that to the legal team. He was adamant that he was innocent. Um, we'll see what how that turns out. But other than that, I think he handled himself pretty professionally. Um, I did notice that um, WZIP's own Cami Justice, shout out to her, um, her question Absolutely. about Andrew Barry or her question about what Andrew Barry would say to women who are disgusted by this trade that it was very interesting because Andrew Barry was completely stumped at that. I don't know if you guys saw that or I heard did. it, but he, he took a long time to actually answer that. And I've never seen him do that. So that was kind of concerning in a way. Um, I did wish there were more questions about Baker. I wanted to know, you know, if this was their plan all along, I thought this maybe this came out of nowhere, but they said this was a five-month-long process. five-month odyssey. Yeah, was they kept using the term odyssey, which mm-hmm. was very odd. It just makes it sound like it was a long trip, and, like, they really did their research, even though they weren't able to and I'm not gonna pretend, elaborate on it. I'm not going to pretend I know any more than they do. So whatever research they do, whatever comes out of legal things, we're, I'm, we'll just run with it, I guess, because I don't know... I, you know, uh, the world needs more people who says, I don't know what I'm talking about. And that's what, that's how I am with all this legal stuff. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, so I'll just see what happens. Um, but they going back to my questions or my thing about the lack of questions for Baker or uh, regarding Baker was that if this was their, their journey all along, if this was their plan, then why did they devalue Baker in the way they did? why did they keep playing him knowing that he was hurting his value? And why are they coming out and saying, oh, he's not an adult? I mean, I know Barry said that he didn't say that, but it definitely leaked out of the organization somewhere. So I just don't get why, if you're wanting to move on from him, why are you devaluing him? Why are you, do they think that benching him was hurting his value more than having him go out there and keep throwing picks on that shoulder? It just, it didn't make any sense. And I wish someone would have asked that. So... Here's my Baker Mayfield comment, which is positive for once. Okay. I think that as I am not a Baker fan, I think the way that the Cleveland Browns have been handling the Baker situation is not good. It's very poor. I think that if you're right, if this was their plan all along for Baker, which I'm glad it was, thank you. See ya. But okay. my goodness. I, it's not like he led us to a, our first playoff. Okay. Game. Okay. Did you but, not enjoy yourself? Because I did. It wasn't, like I said last time I was on, it wasn't because of him, but we'll get there. Well, he was statistically a top 10 quarterback he that was, year, but nonetheless, he was, he was continue. The, can you guys just let me compliment Baker he was for five seconds? You're complimenting him, dissing him the entire time. That so, wasn't even complimenting him. It was just it no, was dissing the you're organization. So, but you're saying you're, he, is a great, he is a great guy. He was a very good staple for our community, but... I just, I agree with you. Like, why, if our plan all along was to get Deshaun Watson, why, what we should have done, our greatest 
leverage would have been when Deshaun said he wasn't coming here, we should have just been like, all right, fine, we're going to hang on to him. Because that's the biggest leverage in the NFL is saying, all right, fine, we'll just hang on to him. I don't know why. But at that point, Baker already wanted out. Right, but we could still say, okay, fine, we're, well, that stinks for you. We're not getting rid of you. But I think I just wish that they were handling it better because now it's likely we might even have to release him. And as much as I don't like the guy and I don't think he's a good quarterback, it, there's a chance he goes to Pittsburgh and the dude knows all our plays. That would be the biggest middle finger to the Browns organization possible. Oh, of course. Possible. And I, I could see that. I mean, it happened with Joe Hayden. Mm-hmm. They released him and he went to Pittsburgh and he still, he, I mean, he might not be the quite the same as he was, but he was still playing at a very high level. And I don't want to see that happen with Baker because... And Baker's even a bigger deal than that, too. Like, oh, yeah. He's a quarterback. And he's better than Mitch Trubisky. I would say that. I would give him that better than Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> I don't think he would go to Pittsburgh. I think Seattle is looking to be that number one spot for Baker at this point. Carolina showed their disinterest in Baker. And <laughs> I the, love that, uh, that that headline. It I've, said that showed mutual, mutual disinterest. Yeah. <laughs> Never yeah. seen that one before. It, you know, it's unfortunate for it's Baker. So he wanted to play for the Colts, and then the Colts got Matt Ryan. That's yeah, so, it's going to bite them. I just don't get why. Uh, this is kind of going off topic here, but the Colts, they're in their third year in a row where they're going after some veteran guy who hasn't really done a whole lot in years like after after Andrew Luck, they went to Philip Rivers, who was way out of his prime at that point. Then they went to Carson Wentz, who had like one good year and has just been completely average to below average for a year. And then now they're kicking the tires on Matt Ryan, who's a good quarterback, but he's 37 and he's only declining. Yeah. So at what point are they going to try to get someone who's young and proven and can lead them to playoff game? I mean, I think Matt Ryan can, but he's not their future. Yeah, there's something so that to be really said. that really was kind of confusing. There's something to be said about stability within an organization. Yeah, and I think the Colts are starving for stability, and it's just they got a good team, they got a good roster. It's yeah. just they need to find that stability at right. quarterback. Yep. So, talking about Deshaun Watson, though, um, I kind of align with you, Dan, on the press conference thing. I think they handled it well. It was nice to actually hear from Deshaun Watson rather than just the rumors and things going on. Yeah, and. Um, uh, not not to cut you off again, but I also didn't kind of share my thoughts on the whole Haslam part of it. That was different because the the Haslams, they made this nearly quarter billion dollar investment on this guy who has all this baggage that we all know about and talk about. And you're not even present for the press conference. You have to let your GM and your coach and the guy speak for himself first before he can, yes. or, before he can organize, in quotes, your thoughts and then speak on Zoom like two hours later, and he still did not handle himself very well. He kept having the same rehearsed phrase, oh, we, we trust, what was it again? We we, we, we trust the We're person. comfortable with Deshaun Watson as a person. He kept using that, no matter all these questions, and it just a lot of different questions that should have been answered differently. He just kept using that, and it just did not sit well with me at all. And then D Haslam had to save him a couple times. And there, there's another comment he made that I thought was really tone deaf, and I'll, I'll kind of make this quick. He said something. Someone asked about like, like what he like, like what he would say about like season ticket holders who are canceling their plans because they don't want to support Deshaun Watson or a team that has someone with all these allegations. He said something along the lines of, "Oh, we we have more sales than than cancellations." Last I checked, and I was like, "All right, well, that's a little tone deaf." I think that's a yeah, that was a weird way to answer that, but. 
I don't know. I, I didn't expect anything less from him. Yeah, and it's weird. Like, I trust the front office for the Browns. I trust everybody in the organization. So when they say they trust Deshaun Watson as a person, yep. it makes me want to. But at the same time, with everything going on, I'm not quite there yet. Yeah, all I can but do is we'll just, see. all I can do is roll with what they give. Because like I exactly. said, I don't know what's going on. I don't, I'm not going to pretend I know any more than they do. Like a lot of people, they like to pretend that they're lawyers. All these armchair lawyers are coming out of nowhere, but I'm just going to go with whatever they give me. Yeah. I'm Even right there though it makes you. me uncomfortable, that's all I can do. I'm right there with you. Uh, before we go off the air, though, I did ask you guys to compile your top five teams in the AFC. Uh, the AFC is obviously very competitive and very strong right now. You know, Deshaun Watson to the Browns, you could argue that the Browns would be in that list as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, gentlemen, run through your list. I'm going to go. Five AFC right. teams. I'll make this quick. I'm going to go number five, Bengals. I think they're going to be back to where they were. Maybe, maybe not quite as good just because the AFC is a lot more competitive. But they did build that offensive line. I think they'll be back into business. Number four, Broncos. Like I said, they have an excellent team that was in need of a quarterback, and they got one. Number three, Chargers. I think they're going to take that next step. I think they are one of the most all-around best teams in the in the league. Number two, the Buffalo Bills. I really like the moves they made. Vaughn Miller on a six-year deal. I think that was a little long, but nonetheless, they got that pass rusher that they've been needing. And again, this goes back to if Watson is suspended for a long time, whether or not he is. If he's not, I have to say the Browns are probably my favorite for the AFC. They just have the probably the best all-around roster. And now that they have an elite quarterback to take them to that next level, I think they'll be right there. All right, Logan. I'm going to go five Bengals due to their Super Bowl success. Joe Burrow in himself and Jamar Chase, obviously. Four Cleveland Browns. And this is all on paper, by the way. Bengals, Browns, um, Chargers, Broncos, Chiefs in that order. All right, fair enough. For me, I have the Chargers at number five. They brought back Mike Williams and revamped their defense. So I like what they've been doing. Bengals, I have them at number four. They added onto their weakness in the O-line. So I'm sure Joe Burrow will love that. Number three, I have the Chiefs. They signed Ronald Jones and MVS, so I don't think they're going to take a step back after that Tyreek Hill trade. Number two, I have the Broncos. They added Russell Wilson to their weapons on offense like we were talking about. And number one, I actually have the Bills. I do like that Von Miller trade or the signing. And Josh Allen, he's a great quarterback. I do like the Bills. On like the edge, I have the Ravens, Browns, and Raiders. Just because I don't know, obviously the Browns situation is up in the air. And the Ravens and Raiders are certainly competitive as well. Um, Any last thoughts on today's show, gentlemen? Super Bowl, Super Browns. Sayonara, Baker. What? Can we not end end it like that, didn't you? I did. All right. Well, it was a great show, guys. March Madness is not only applying to NCAA, but also to the end of the NBA season. And the MLB as we get kicked up on that. And, of course, the offseason of the NFL. What a crazy and wild offseason it has been. Joining me on today's show was... Logan Congrove. And Dan Groen. My name is Jake Murren. Stay tuned to WZIP, and we will be back with more Sports Power Talk next Sunday. You already know from 11 to 1. We'll see you then.